Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. Okay, we are ending our series of clinical lesions. And as promised at the end of the podcast last week, we are covering pustules, which is probably most dermatologists' like favorite clinical lesion. I think all of us get so excited if we find an intact pustule or a really nice, big, non-follicular spreading pustule. I, as dermatologists, we're kind of interesting creatures. Um, but we're really gonna go over pustules today because it's extremely important that we're identifying pustules but also knowing the differentials that can occur with them. And I, just as a reminder, something we talked about last week, but in case you didn't catch that episode about papules, Remember, when we see clinical lesions, it is a snapshot in time, meaning something that is a pustule may not have started out as a pustule or something that is a pustule could turn into something like a crust. And that's really important to recognize when you are talking to owners, asking them, what is this? What did this look like before? Um, you know, is the pet bothering it? Do you have pictures of what it looked like before? Because it can be really important to know the progression of that disease, especially if it's something that's been present for a long time. So, Pustule, pretty straightforward and something that most of you guys probably know. It is a pus-filled skin lesion that is smaller than a centimeter. If we are talking about pus, pus is basically neutrophilic inflammation with other debris, things like that. It doesn't have to be infected because you can have sterile pustular disease. But please, if you are talking about pus, call it by the medical term, either a pustule or purulent debris. It is not pus dot 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 e. Okay? <laughs> That's something we just do not need to see in medical records. It's a really easy mistake to make. And I understand the thought process behind it. And we have clients do it too, but I also see it in medical records as well. So purulent debris or pustules, that is what we're gonna cause. Lesions that have pus within them. So what makes up a pustule? As we kind of mentioned, neutrophils. Neutrophils is the kind of a defining inflammatory cell that we see within pustules. You can get other inflammatory cells too. For example, you can get something like an eosinophil that sits within that pustule and you, you can get pimphigus, you can get, you know, uh, bacterial pyodermas that actually have eosinophils pretty prominently in that inflammation. But most of the time we're going to see a predominant neutrophilic inflammation within a pustule. Similar to what we talked about last week, but just as a reminder, when we're seeing pustules, we want to recognize if they are follicular, they go right above the hair follicle, or if they're non-follicular. A lot of our differentials are going to be very similar between papule and pustule, and as we talked about last week, we really can differentiate some of our big differentials based on if it tracks right above hair follicles, so then we're going to think of things like a bacterial folliculitis, demodex, dermatophytosis, or if it's not affecting the hair follicles. So superficial spreading pyoderma, autoimmune diseases, things of that nature. So that's why it's really important that we really evaluate the skin and see what is the pustule actually affecting besides the other basic things like distribution of lesions, history, all those really good things. So when we look at pustules, 
some of the more common things we're going to see, well, by far the most common thing we're going to see is a staphylococcal pyoderma, a bacterial folliculitis, whether it's follicular or non-follicular, we're going to see some sort of staph infection. But I just have to say, I have seen so many cases where if we don't do cytology, they are just treated with antibiotics over and over and over again, just because they have some crusts and there's pustules that are present. But it's really important to recognize there are other things that can cause pustules, which is why we're so adamant about collecting our cytology. Or knowing before you submit a culture, I've seen where cultures come back negative and it is a pet who's been put on cephalexin a few times, didn't respond, so they're cultured, it comes back negative, a couple hundred dollars of the client's money spent on that. You know, we get it referred to us, we do a cytology, there's a bunch of neutrophils, there is no bacteria, and say there's a bunch of acanthalytic keratinocytes, and that's actually a pemphigus dog. Going back to cytology, you know I love cytology. I don't need you guys to know how to interpret everything under the microscope. Again, if you can get to the basics of bacteria, yeast, weird, we're going to get really far. Because at least if you find weird or you see a lot of neutrophilic inflammation, but you're not really seeing any bacteria that justifies how lesional that pet is, great. At least if we can save the client's money from going to culture or just putting them on another round of antibiotics they don't need and we need to be really cautious of with our antimicrobial judicious use. If we know to refer or to biopsy, we have just really served that patient in a big way. So don't get intimidated by cytology. We have time to do it. You can get really fast at it. You can treat your technicians, your assistants to collect and read it for you if you're concerned you won't have time in the clinic. But it's so, so important and it's truly that minimum database when we're talking about the management of dermatologic disease. But we are going to see a lot of staph infections cause pustules. What are other things? Well, I've seen some pretty bad pustular demetacosis. So especially if you have a young dog um, or say an older dog and you see a lot of pustules, definitely minimum database for me. I am going to do cytology um, and then probably skin scrape if I have a reason to suspect demodex because a lot of those puppy pustules really can be indicative of demodicosis and usually are actually pretty easy to find in those cases too. The other thing we can see, and again, you're going to see this list is very similar to, similar to papules, is dermatophytosis. So dermatophytosis can also cause like a follicular pustular uh, uh, lesion, and that is something that we don't see as often, but definitely can be present. Now, non-follicular things. One of the more common things that will cause a non-follicular pustular disease, besides something like, um, you know, really bad spreading pyoderma, would be pemphigus foliaceus. Pemphigus foliaceus by nature is a pustular disease that becomes crusted. We usually see them as crusted, a crusted disease in the clinic because those pustules are really fragile and transient and they kind of rupture open and become crusted easily. That's why dermatologists freak out and get excited if they have a suspect pemphigus case that has an intact pustule because that's like money for us. I mean, that is just like the perfect lesion that is like I we're very protective of those lesions because we want a cytology or biopsy them because usually that's the money shot that's what really gives us a good diagnosis of pemphigus because we'll see the pathologist will see acanthalytic keratinocytes just swimming around in that pustule and it's awesome um, but more often than not when we see a pustular pemphigus even a crusted pemphigus, it has been misdiagnosed as a staph infection that's just not responding. So that's why I say get really comfortable at least with bacteria, yeast, or weird because we don't want to have these cases that just get thrown on antibiotics. 
with no cytology proving it was necessary or spending money on something like a culture that again might not be necessary and a lot of these are secondarily infected so the first time you treat them they may get a little bit better when you put them on an antibiotic but then as time goes on and that disease primary disease progresses then all of a sudden they're not getting better and we really want to make sure we're getting to the heart of the primary cause so Pemphigus is definitely something you want to think of if you have a non-follicular um, pustular disease. You can also get staph infections that can cause like bullets and vitigo, which is like kind of a non-follicular spreading, especially dogs who are very immunosuppressed or even some puppies. But we're going to do our cytology so we can make sure that we're addressing those and recognizing those because it is something that you would want to be looking for an underlying, if you get those really big non-follicular um, lesions, and it's just packed full of bacteria, then you know that's potentially culture, topical, treating that, but looking for an underlying reason why that pet would have developed something like that because those can be very immunosuppressed to get to the degree of getting such bad staph infection lesions. And then there's other autoimmune diseases, neoplastic diseases that can cause pustules as well, but predominantly we're gonna see neutrophilic inflammation plus or minus bacteria and then looking for the cause, whether it's demetacosis because it's affecting the hair follicle, whether it's something like a pemphigus that we want to be really considerate of. Now, when we talk about actually sampling a pustule, so we've talked about some of the differentials, and there's definitely others that are out there too. But when we talk about sampling them and getting on the right track, how do we sample a pustule? So there's a couple different ways that you can do that. So one is just taking your slide as if you're going to do a direct impression smear because something like tape's not going to work well for these because unless you break them open, it's still going to be hard because tape's really better for dry lesions. Even if you break open the pustules, you're probably just going to get a lot of debris and make it difficult to read if you use tape. So what I'll do is take my microscope slide and I'll use either the corner of the slide to lightly rupture open that pustule or depending on how fragile that pustule is, I can take the leading edge of that slide and rupture them open. And then what I like to try to do if there's a, like a little bit of periolent debris in there is just go directly on it, not even smear it across, but if there's enough material, just kind of blotting my slide where that periolent debris comes out of that pustule because that keeps my neutrophils intact a little bit better. So I can look for thing like, things like intracellular cocci, acanthalytic keratinocytes, but even a smear sample, you're probably going to get a pretty good result. The other thing that you can do, and I'll do this if I'm going to culture a pustule, is I'll just take a needle, so a sterile needle. You can use a pretty you know, small needle. You could even use something like a 22 gauge, but you could use a 24 gauge. And you just basically kind of uh, very lightly tease that pustule open with the edge of the needle. So if I'm going to culture something, I often do that because that needle sterile. I can open it and then just get a sample from within that pustule. So if I have a pustule, even for cytology, I'm struggling to get to rupture open with the slide itself, then I'll do the same thing. I'll take a, just a needle, I'll kind of tease it open, and then I will do my press smear on that material. And that's what I find really helpful. I evaluate that, and then I kind of decide what other diagnostics are necessary, chock full of bacteria, maybe culture, some topical treatment while we're waiting for culture, depending on the history of the case. If I'm seeing tons of neutrophils, but not really any infection, then I'm starting to think of, do I need to scrape this animal? Are we at the point of needing to biopsy this animal? So I hope that's helpful. Pustules, again, are one of our favorite lesions to see. 
So you want to think of all the things that can cause a pustule. And even though it'll often be a bacteria that will cause that, there are other things, demodex, dermatophytosis, pemphigus foliaceus, uh, that really can cause some pustules as well and clearly have different treatment options that we don't want to miss. So I hope you guys enjoyed this little series. I'm hoping to do a little series like this, just you know, three or four weeks where you guys can kind of know what to expect um, for a few weeks kind of covering certain um, either diseases or maybe case presentations, just something that gives you um, a little snippet of uh, more consistent topics that you can lump together when you're trying to increase your dermatology knowledge. And as always, I talked to you guys about the Derm Nerds. That's my online community. It is a wonderful place to get information like this, even more in depth. And that's something that if you go to thedermvet.com, you can click on the Derm Nerds tab tab and check us out. We, it's a really awesome community. You know, people put cases up there. We chat about them. I put up a, case, a topic of the month and weekly you get either a journal club article or I do a case presentation that gets posted on there or even a whole intro topic where I do a lecture about that topic. And you can post your own information or ideas or questions in there as well. So it's kind of our little safe space community to talk all veterinary dermatology.